one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new Black Magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now, cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 181st episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Colin Levy and Josh Castleman. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. Today we've got Jeanette McCurdy on. You may know her from her acting career as a star of iCarly and Sam and Cat, but she's become a director since you last saw her. So we sit down and talk to her about all of the things that she learned as a young child actor, kind of at the top of her game, and what appeals to her about directing and why she decided to make this big pivot. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, as we're talking to these actors turned directors, they've been like, she's been on hundreds of episodes of TV as well. And just coming in as a new director, you have just like a totally different background than your average director. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's logged so many hours in front of the camera. It's really interesting to hear what she has to say and how that's informed her approach behind the camera. Yeah. She also asked us a lot of questions, which is kind of refreshing. (laughs) But the question she asked us off the mic after she left, I thought was one of the most interesting ones, which was which of your past work is like most proud of you're most proud of. Yeah. And it's like just such a hard question to answer for me, at least, because it's like you're being put on the spot to be like, oh, go watch this thing of mine. And for a lot of us, like you and me, like some of the stuff we're most proud of is kind of older because that's the time when we were really like making our own stuff or things that we were really driving from from scratch you know my passion project is the the second toyota spot in that series (laughs) of four yeah i mean it could be that that's the goal right is that like everything is the passion project yeah well cool well before we talk to jeanette let's catch up a little bit you had a big pitch yesterday i did have a big pitch listeners of the show will remember that i sold something kind of a while ago now is that a futon i think i saw it on craigslist it was an old mattress but you know, I propped it up so it looked like a couch too. Uh, no, I I sold a series kind of a while ago, and and when just, you say sold, do you get money? Yes, yeah, yeah, I got money. So basically, I optioned it with this company so that they had the exclusive right to sell that show to networks, basically. And so I worked with them to put together, you know, a package and kind of refine the script and all that stuff. And we finally went and pitched it to a television network yesterday and it's a really 
interesting, fascinating sort of thing. You know, I've pitched plenty of things and I, you know, I think by the time you get to pitching a network, you've talked about the show ad nauseum, right? Like you have to sell your team on it first and then you have to, you know, sell a, a company on it. And like, then you have to tell, you have to tell the story of the show so many times that by the time you're actually in front of a network, you know, it's pretty well hardwired. Do you find that it's hard to be excited about it? No, no, not at all. Yeah, that's the easiest part. I was so excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that they're, that uh, nervous and excited are bedfellows, and I found myself feeling maybe more nervous than I've felt in a long time because most of the time when I'm pitching something, the stakes are a little lower, but like it had been a little bit since I'd been to a TV network. And this is a show that I really care about. And there, it, the show is specific enough that there were fewer places to take it than normal. So like their stakes are higher, basically. Right. But what's interesting to me about it, and it really struck me on the drive home, because I, you know, I did the whole thing, right? Like I practiced it a bunch of times with uh, with my team and, you know, with the, the people that bought it and you know, I meditated beforehand and I visualized and I really, you know, I like I wrote like a really strong outline for all of the things that I was going to say and really, you know, put all of the effort that one needs to really nail it into the pitch. But how much time did you spend looking in a mirror, like deep into your soul? (laughs) I mean, I I did meditate though, genuinely, you know, like so... I did the slightly more practical version of the TV version of you psyching yourself up. Like I, I went there, you know, I was like, I'm going to commit to this. This is, I'm, I'm going to take the day. I'm really going to dig in and, and do an awesome job because I feel like the times where I've really gotten myself in the right headspace to execute, I do. Right. And so, and then one last dumb question. Yeah. Did you play like I have the tiger or anything before? You... I did play music. Yeah. I did play music before you went in for before the I went in. Yeah, for sure. Are you familiar with power poses? Um, there was a TED talk on them, right? Yeah, probably. I, uh, not enough to have gone there, but I would have. Do you know what I mean? Like I was in, I was like, I'm going to have an open mind. I'm just going to like do what it takes to be ready. And I reread the script the morning of, and was like pleasantly reminded by how much I like it. This is the pilot script. The pilot show you were pitching. Yeah. Yeah. And that I was proud of it, you know? And so it was like a nice reinforcement of like oh i can do this and then i went in and you know pitched my heart out and i think i did a pretty darn good job how many tears were there at the end of the pitch none but i got plenty of laughs and it was kind of a tougher room and you know at the end they said hey well pitched you know everyone was smiling they had good thoughtful questions all of which is to say that i'm not bragging about the performance that i did my point is that i did everything right and i still may not sell this show yeah like I, I dotted every I and crossed every T and like, you know, on the drive home, I was like, there's that letdown, right? Cause it is a performance, you know, you're talking nonstop for 20, 30 minutes and then answering questions. And you know, then there's like the, there's the wrap up where like, you know, your team kind of huddles up and they talk about, okay, well, next steps will be this and we'll follow up the next day and you know, we'll hear back in two or three weeks or whatever it is. Right. And I'm just driving home and I'm like, well, that's that. And Maybe they already bought all of the shows they're going to buy this season. Or maybe, like, somebody doesn't like it. Well, at the very least, you know that at least, like, 10 people or so were excited to hear you talk about your show, so. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, 
there is an audience that has <laughs> come to your show. Hopefully it goes beyond those 10 people. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's so interesting, though, to kind of like be faced with that. And I think that people talk about gatekeepers all the time, and we talk about it on the show a little bit as well. And every single person that I have had the privilege of talking to about the show has been really supportive and really open and, and interested and curious, you know? And so everyone that I've met is like a fan of making things and it's still an uphill battle. And so um, we talk about it a little bit with Jeanette uh, in the episode, but I think it's, it's put me in a funny headspace where I'm like just really kind of coming back, circling back to the just shoot it mentality. Well, my thing that always like spooks me is that if you pitch your show and it's a great pitch and they like the show and then someone else pitches like has a pitch that's like 10% worse, Mm -hmm. but they have an actor, you know, famous TV actor attached. Yeah, totally. Then like why? Why would they pick mine? Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to be so much better than any show that has any attachments. And if there's an attachment, chances are they're not that bad, you know? Yeah. That it's, yeah. that that's to me like the stressful part about TV. And so when the, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it for the sake of our listeners. Uh, when do you hear back? Two to three weeks is, is what my team said, but that's based purely off of their experience with this network. Oh, okay. So it, that's not like they're not informed with the fact that like, oh, well they have their Friday meetings or whatever, or their Monday meetings and they'll probably circulate it and then you know circle back up a week or two after which is i think the rhythm of those places like i didn't pitch the entire team so they'll that team member will say hey you know uh this is the show that i heard i think x y and z yeah you know pitch pitch. yeah so uh that's where i'm at right now It's, it's interesting it's exciting it's very complicated emotionally i will tell you what yeah well, I wanted to talk about something that you're also involved in mm. and that we touch on in the uh, ep- in this episode, but we are both jurors for the ha- hell Hell's Half Mile? Hell's Half Mile Film Festival in Michigan. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. It's my first time. No, it's my second time being a jury member, but I've only been a juror for shorts before and now we're jurying everything. Yeah, you're so much further ahead than I am. I haven't watched anything. Which is anything. shocking to me. Because yeah. I'm the one with a three-year-old kid and, yeah, you know, the wife that doesn't want to watch independent films yeah. with me. How have you been watching them? Well, all the shorts I watched on my computer. I think the average length was like 15 minutes and there was five of them. So I watched them all. And then there's eight feature films, which, which I didn't know like how this works. I guess like a film festival will nominate the programmers who've watched every movie that was submitted. Yeah, the, they'll narrow it down. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess they've probably watched all the selections, at least that are going to play the festival. Yeah. And then they nominate movies for best movie, best a- actor, best actors, like all those things. And then they have the jury watch those movies. So of the eight movies, I think I've watched four so far. And I we get these private screener links for them and I just play them on my laptop and airplay them to my TV. So I've been watching them on like my, in my living room on my TV. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's yeah. A great way and to say it. it's been, yeah, been great. I watched a movie of one of our previous guests. I um, know which movie. Yeah. And it was, it was fun seeing it on the screen and yeah, it, it's just like, it just reminded me of an indie film cause I have not really watched a lot of independent films lately. Did you feel inspired? Yeah, both. 
both inspired and also like discouraged by like from because a, you you wouldn't watch them if you didn't. It's I and mean, that's not a that's not a right, not about, a slight on the films. Yeah, but, yeah. It's just like that viewing habits have shifted. Yeah, well, Is that what even even the way I'm choosing which movie to watch, I'm like, well, this one's 110 minutes. This one's 75 minutes. I'm going to watch 75 minute one. Like, I got the easy ones first. Yeah. And then also, like, is there anyone I've heard of in this movie now? Or, like, kind of heard? Like, I don't know. I, I just find myself just as, like, someone that is ultimately going to watch all these movies, like, even before I watch them, like, looking at who made them and looking at how they're made and what their length are and... And then once you watch the movie, you're like, oh, that must have taken so long to make, you know, <laughs> and it's just so much work and it's interesting, but, but I'm really enjoying it actually. And, uh, I can't wait to hear what everyone else, what's cool about being on a jury is everyone's going to watch the movies and then we'll discuss yeah. what we think about them and who. what we, will we discuss that? I or think, do we, just I think vote? we vote, but then we are allowed to have special jury nominations, which oh. I think we will discuss, like we'll kind of like, you can say like, well, I think this movie should, you know, there isn't a nomination for it, but it should get a special. Should we nominate best previous podcast guest? No, that's a pet joke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah. And the shorts, what I like about the shorts is like, they're all over like one, like looks like it could have cost like, you know, $200,000 and one looks like it could have cost $2. And I actually think the $2 one might be my favorite short. Mm. Anyway, uh, I'm excited. Hell's Half Mile Film Festival. Yeah, it's uh, in Bay City, Michigan, September 26th through the 29th in 2019. If you see the the winners, we are part of selecting them. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out if we can make it out there. The offer's on the table. Fingers crossed. Yeah. And I guess the one last thing I want to say about the movies is um, I'm just like really looking for the thing in the movies that goes beyond like my expectations you know I, I don't know if it's like like if it could just be a performance is really good or like the scope or like some, the visuals I, I don't know so that's like I guess what is exciting me about seeing these movies is trying to find the parts that impress me yeah because some you know excited by. they're indie films so they're kind of all very different and very much their own thing cool well it's uh good to catch up Orin it's been a minute yeah Thanks for uh, thanks for chatting. Yeah, of course, man. Cool. So right before we talk to Jeanette, we are going to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash pod. You can support our podcast. Give us a couple bucks a month if you'd like. If you like what you hear, if you feel like it's useful to you. If you give us 10 bucks a month, even if for only one month, we will send you a free Just Shoot It podcast hat. We are looking at the hats right now. We are sending out two to previous patrons. We can't wait for them to send us a selfie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With them wearing it. So one of the things the Patreon helps us pay for is uh, our live events. And we're having another one on October 20th. It's going to be our Halloween episode. We're going to have a panel of genre film directors, uh, probably like horror film directors. Yeah. I'm but gonna it might tr- be thrillers I'm or I'm going to try to get some mysteries and, and sci-fi in there as well. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully we can diversify a little bit. We'll see. Yeah. We're doing it at the same place we did our last live event. Rita House. At Rita House, which uh, we are super excited about, about going back there. And the last one was such a success that we are doing it again. So stay tuned. We uh, are going to tweet. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or everywhere. We're on social media. We'll tell people about the event. And you should come because you will win Hell's Half Mile 
<laughs> jury award if you come. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. No, but if you are a patron, uh, you will get into that event for free. And this time around, I think I'm going to try and release a few tickets early that are for patrons only. But either way, if you're a patron, then you get into the event for free. If not, it costs a little bit of money. So, like, you can just become a patron at the $1 level and save yourself a little cash. Have some pizza and beer on us. Okay, without any further delays, here is Jeanette McCurdy. So you're part three of our actor-slash-director guests. Oh, how fun. Yeah, Who were the first two? Well, we have Audrey Moore. Okay. She actually has a podcast called Audrey Helps Actors that is very popular. Fun. And then we had Ben Giroux. Yeah. Got and, it. And he does a lot of voice him. acting. Yeah, a ton of voice acting. He's been kind of moving over to the writing, directing stuff for yeah. a while. Yeah. I feel like it's a it's a big trend with well, actors. Well, wh- why do you think that is? I think that as an actor, there's a definite lack of control. And there there can be a sense of a lack of creativity if, I mean, it depends on who your director is and who your producers are and who the creative team is. But uh, you don't really have much say in really anything. And I think that can be pretty soul-sucking. It was for me, at least. You know, I'm sure there are actors who have phenomenal experiences and, and love everything they've done and love the creative teams they've worked with. But if you don't have, if you don't feel like you have any creative investment in what you're doing, then I feel like it can be pretty yeah. uh, negative. And do you think... That might come partially from the fact that you were like a young actor? For sure. Oh, for sure. I think that there's less trust there. I think there's less uh, collaboration. I think you're asked your opinion less. Um, and I, yeah, I had experiences with so many directors where I'd think, I feel like I know what they're wanting, but I don't like that. I don't like what they want. I, and I, sometimes I'd even be unclear of what their vision was, and I'd feel that maybe they were unclear of it uh, themselves. So it was just kind of this... This feeling that I had since I was very young, it was like, oh, I, I really want to, I would prefer to be behind the camera. I'd prefer to have more of a stake in things, more of a sense of investment and, and feel more creative. Because you played the same character on like a hundred, over a hundred episodes, right? Yeah. Of TV. Yeah. Uh, over a hundred episodes of one show. And then there was a spinoff for my character and I did 40 more episodes for this other show. So it was in total like almost 160 episodes of television as one character. And so there wasn't, like, 20 episodes in, you weren't in a place where you could be like, well, I don't think Sam would do that. I would, maybe I would say this instead. Our producer was very, very hands-on and very, I mean, known kind of, you know, I'm totally cool saying this because it's out there, but he's just very strict and very much knows what he wants, and he has a vision, and it's going to be that vision, which is actually how I think the best work gets made. I think a lot of people put an emphasis on there being this happy, creative, collaborative environment, and I think a singular vision is probably more important. So I think in the end, he, he got what he wanted, and he made you know good work for what it was, but as an actor, it's a little bit crippling. Remind us just uh, how old are you when you're kind of in this in the trenches on everything? Like How old were you when... when you were feeling this way, especially. 13 to uh, 21 was the, the, the time on the show. and That is a long time. Y- yeah. And, and by 14 was formative when... Formative years. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was when it started becoming kind of really like, oh, I don't <laughs> so want to do 14, this anymore. You're yeah. like Wait. one year in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it took you seven years to stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there there well, were many contracts involved. <laughs> and you're on a you're moving train at that point, right? Exactly, like it, exactly. It, it would feel like, oh, this is crazy to not want to be 
the star of a huge yeah. TV show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I th- honestly, there was a lot of like guilt and shame that came along with that because I knew, well, first off, I started acting because my mom wanted to be an actress. So she was like, oh, yeah, I'll have you follow my dreams, kid. Um, so I did that. And, and I, I knew from very early on that I wanted to go behind the scenes. But then when I was getting all this work as an actor to, to say, oh, I don't love what I'm doing feels so much like a slap in the face to everybody who's working so hard at it and it and it I think just brought on this such a complex layer of like guilt and shame that to get to the point where I even was able to admit that I didn't want to do it anymore I was it was probably 20 at that point wow yeah yeah and you're also I mean you're on one show for so long it's like yeah and imagine it's kind of like a family and like it's I and yeah and your colleagues have been it's not like you're doing a different movie every week it's like you're with the same people right for years right and also in a sitcom environment so I'm sure it's a totally different experience if you're doing films and you're you know trying all these different characters and it's more of that circus life of like meeting a new crew every three months or whatever but uh, when it's the same thing over and over and over it's it's wild and were you guys uh, in front of a live studio audience no never Never. Yeah, never. But it's multicam, right? Multicam, but just per our producer's request, it was there was no never an audience, um, and I think that would have helped. I think that would have lent some energy and some newness every week. But um, but also we were able to do our takes so many more times than we would have been able to if we'd had a live audience. So it had its benefits. Right, and so I guess I'm curious on a multicam show like that, where there is no audience and you're you're just kind of turning out a lot of episodes. How much of your performance and blocking and all that stuff is coming from the director versus the producer? I'm going to say 100% was coming from our producer because we'd work with our directors for three days, but for our rehearsal days, but then by the shoot day, everything would be sort of disregarded. And I mean, it got to the point where we were wondering, like, why are we even doing these rehearsal days? Everything's changing by the time we get to our shoot day. DGA requirements. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Wait, so what does the director do on a show like yours? Um, Get a credit and a paycheck? Yeah, yeah. I just kind of point. And um, I I think our directors tried their best to kind of infuse some of their own takes and perspective on things. But um, also, you know, given the content of what it was, how much what can there be but could they like pitch jokes like like maybe you do a double take over here what if you like trip on this step and look back like is any of that stuff happening what if you walk around the kitchen island in a really conspiratorial way and then you yeah they would they would definitely try but it just it was just all disregarded truth be told yeah and is it i mean i mean that's television right yeah yeah that's it well especially that type of television yes Yes. like then you i think like you talk about like the breaking bads or whatever the even I don't, I don't know. Have you done Modern Family? No. Mm-mm. But I imagine the directors do a little more in that just because there's like the zoom. Like the camera is like a big character on a right. comedy like totally, that. Totally, totally, totally. I want to back up just a tiny bit yeah. and talk. Just Can you give us the quick like cliff notes of your career? Because I think like Orin and I are both sort of of the yeah. age where we don't totally know those shows. <laughs> yeah, you know it, what I mean? where it would be concerning if you did. It'd yeah. be weird, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I worked at Disney when iCarly was on, so I, oh, no I was very aware, but I was kind of in this very side What did division. you do at Disney? I directed, like, they had a digital, they had this uh, department called Dimji, Digital okay. Interactive Media Group, and we did, like, web series for teen, tween girls, pretty much. Oh, wow. Like, high school shows and stuff. But so... But but brands like iCarly sure, or sure. like Hannah Montana, they were like kind of the untouchable things. They were like, just don't even right. get close to this because <laughs> yeah, we were a little edgier it. and yeah, a little yeah. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, yeah, more yeah. like on the freeform ABC family side of things. Oh, okay, cool. 
But we, but very aware of like iCarly. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. And it wasn't it was, was Fred on iCarly? Fred, yeah, the Fred, the YouTuber. Yeah, yeah, he was. Oh, he, I didn't know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of was one of his. I, he that was like one of the first like famous YouTubers that kind of made a transition yeah, to totally TV. Yeah. Um. Then he did a, a couple movies for them and everything. Um. Basically, my I started acting when I was six. Mom wanted to be in acting. She put me in acting. Um, I did a lot of the like crying guest star roles <laughs> on procedural dramas. Like, I'm gonna miss my dad so yeah, much. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like definitely abuse involved, or some sort sure, of kidnapping, sure. or just like some very traumatic event. Yes. Yeah, sure. And did you know Doctor House? Have, <laughs> exactly. have you ever had to direct a kid to cry? Mm. Have yes. either of you? <laughs> yeah, I have actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what yeah. do you, do you tell them like what's going on or are you just do you just like kind of I, tell them you're going to take their candy away? The time I did it was not successful and I was <laughs> oh. like I just want you to hide your face. I was like hi, like like hide your face like like bury yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is what I ended up so it was like he was covering his eyes, he was like putting his eyes in, under his like arms yeah. stuff like that. Like was it a very kind of Yeah. Was it yeah. a dramatic cry or a comedic no, cry? No, it was a comedic cry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um and I think because of my experiences as a child actor doing those crying scenes I was uh, just brutally honest with the girl about like what the context of the scene was and what I wanted from her and and she was was she she was 11 and Mm -hmm. insanely mature but not precocious which I found very refreshing and kind of unexpected in the child acting world but she was amazing um and I don't think she needed even one bit of direction I think she she totally understood what it was on her own wait actually I want to know what would you say to a kid to make them cry having done it so many times well I think it depends on I think it depends on the kid and being respectful of their mindset but like with her for example I could just be totally honest about what it was but maybe I'd withhold a little bit more if it were if it were somebody who's who seemed a little more naive and I'd say something vulnerable from my life I would try to connect with them I'd take them into a side room and uh yeah open up I feel like that is always interesting connecting with the actors I think the most important thing like you tell them about the time your dog died or something yeah yeah and then yeah how it made you feel and you ask them like how yeah something like that would make them feel that type of thing (laughs) yeah yeah maybe yeah maybe a little less therapy (laughs) angles but like something in that wheelhouse I just feel like the I feel like connecting to an actor is so important I think I think the worst experience as an actor is when you feel like things are happening around you that you don't know you're like everybody's making all these decisions I'm being physically touched constantly by every department head sure and I don't know what's going on that can be alarming you know um so yeah just just opening up it's funny because i feel like there's some actors turned directors that are less good with actors um, really because they are because they've been through the ringer they've been through the ringer and they're also like like realizing all of a sudden how many things that they need to worry about today that they're not going to take time (laughs) like 15 minutes aside to like talk about you know feelings yeah exactly (laughs) Like, you're an actor. You do your job. I'll do my job. That's interesting. Almost like oh, kind of less respect or something, maybe, as it's like, oh, now I see how many other things yeah. are important and priorities. Maybe. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. It's like they've been hazed already, so they're like... Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And they're the Maybe pro. more like commercial yeah. actors turned directors. Because, uh, you know, in commercials, it's like... I, I don't know if you've auditioned for commercials before, but a lot of times, the actors do not get the script until they get to the audition, you know? Really? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a different weird. world. It's, they just yeah. show up and then they see what they're supposed to do? Really? Yeah. Well, usually it's like <laughs> two <crazy>. lines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. That's I so bizarre. I for that. 
Um, sorry, Jeanette, you were, oh, you were no. telling us your, your life story. Uh, yes, I was <laughs> telling you about my sobbing child actor roles. Um, so I played all these sad kids, and then I got this audition for a show called Zoe 101. It was a kid's show. It was on Nickelodeon, and I had to kiss a boy. I didn't want to do it because I was uh, raised Mormon and was not down to kiss a boy. And then my mom was like, you should just go in on the audition. You're not going to have to kiss a boy unless you get the part. So I go in on that audition. I get it. And then the producer of that was a producer of iCarly. And he actually wrote the part on iCarly for me. So I got to go straight to network, which was hugely um, stress relief. And then I, I did that role, did that show for uh, six seasons, and then got a spinoff from that show, did that for one very long extended season. And then I did a, I acted in a Netflix series for two seasons after that. Wait, um, what was the Netflix series? It's called Between. It was like a teen soap oh, cool. drama, um, zombie apocalypse type thing. Wait, so have you, did you have to audition for any of these? Or just basically Zoe 101 was your last audition? Zoe 101 was, uh, well, I, I didn't have to audition for any of those series, um, but I did audition for things in the interim between Zoe 101 and the show that lasted a long time, iCarly. You know, I did a bunch of testing for on shows and just a lo- lot of tough breaks in between um but so then it was great that somebody who said because i feel like you go through that all the time as an actor where people are like i'm gonna write this thing for you. you're a great kid whatever but then he actually did follow through which i you know i thought was very nice um so then i did this netflix show and then i got the call that the netflix show was canceled and i had been thinking for a long time of how much i wanted to write and direct but the opportunity never was really there i didn't i genuinely just didn't have the time to to kind of pursue it and I thought well I kind of rethought my whole life kind of reevaluated it and thought well I I didn't even really want to act to begin with that was kind of what my mom wanted me to do so what do I want to do and it was hugely terrifying to to admit that I didn't really want to act anymore that I wanted to try to pursue this entirely new career that even though it's kind of adjacent and in the same world is, was going to take so much work and and have so many mistakes along the way and I, that I you know it'd be just so daunting but after like a couple months of hard processing I decided that I wanted to pursue it and that's what I've been pursuing for the past couple years have you ever thought about like pulling a Jodie Foster and like only working with directors you really want to learn from or like doing a TV show that maybe they'll let like give you a couple episodes of or anything like that absolutely if there's something that that really creatively spoke to me in the, on the acting front I would jump at the chance to like work with an exciting director or um, even other exciting actors or something that I felt like I could really, really, and of course you can always learn and grow from anything, but just like, sure. you know, a big experience like that would be amazing. But what I found with just because of my track record and the, the jobs that I'd done was I, it would just be, I'd get tons of scripts for sitcoms and it's, I, you know, I'd already done that for so long and I hate how spoiled it sounds, but it's just the truth. I just felt like I can't do another like, you know, I'm falling and I'm spilling the plates and they're, oh, they're everywhere. Like, I just couldn't do that yeah, yeah. anymore. You are still pretty good at that. Yeah, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty good. But yeah, uh, loud and clear. It's kind of like saying, like, I don't want to go back to high school again. Ex- right? Thank you. Exactly. That's totally yeah. exactly what it was. People have stress dreams about that. Yes. I do, actually. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, totally. Um, well, great. So then tell us about, you've had this epiphany. What's the first step you take towards making the goal of becoming a full-time director or reality what did you do first 
Well, I had been, during the, the Netflix show that I was working on, on our hiatuses, I had been taking spec writing classes and sketch writing classes, and it was definitely something I was pursuing on the side. Where were you taking those classes? Uh, I took spec writing at iOS and uh, sketch writing at UCB. And spec writing is like a writing spec episodes? Epi- yeah, so I did a spec, like a Brooklyn Nine-Nine spec, and a, a Vice Principals, was that the show? Sure, yeah, spec. yeah. Um, oh, I didn't, so... People are still doing that, I guess. Well, this was like five years ago. So I don't know if that's still, I don't think that's happening anymore. I think that's well, like, iOS is. Yeah. Is no it done? More. Is it gone? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know. Yeah, it's such a bummer. I'm so out of touch. Okay. When did it, when, when did that happen? Kind of Two years ago, ago, maybe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't hear. Crazy. Yeah. I'm curious because you, again, were like read hundreds of sitcom scripts. Yeah. If that affected your writing in any way. Like, were you writing like setups and punchlines and stuff in your drama scripts well I, I guess you're writing comedy so yeah I was writing comedy so like I did the spec writing uh, class and I was writing comedy that I, I wasn't super passionate about those um types of sh- like I loved them and I thought they were hilarious but I didn't I felt like something didn't quite align with what I wanted to be writing tonally and I hadn't fully been exposed to the kind to the to similar tones to what I wanted to write and then I started seeing shows like Enlightened um or like you know Breaking Bad or something where it's got, where it's just so textured and, and interesting, enlightened specifically, where it's like this comedy drama weird um, tone, and and I just like lit up and felt like I had I don't know I just was so passionate and excited about exploring kind of that world and that spoke to me the most. So then that's the kind of the stuff that I started writing, and I think actually as for like the influence of those sitcom scripts on me, I think I felt more turned off by that. Like I, it wasn't like I just fell into you know I didn't I didn't want to write that way. I found it very kind of uh, off-putting. Yeah, right. yeah, because I guess those schools do have like a sort of perspective of like hey, you want to be a, a comedy person, right? right? Right. And so I guess that you kind of just end up falling into that bucket a little bit because you're just at IO or you're at UCB and like that's that. Exactly. And the notes that you're given are based on their approaches and their, you know, their school of thought, which makes so much sense, but it definitely wasn't kind of what I wanted to be working on. Right. Had you guys, have you guys taken classes at those places? I took uh, Improv 101 and Sketch 1 and 2 at UCB. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife was in like not a house team, but like, did the UCB thing pretty pretty seriously there cool. like years and years ago now. What was your experience? Um, I had a good time. But yeah. I also like, especially at the time, was very comedy focused. Like mm-hmm. I worked at Comedy Central yeah. and like... You wore a clown nose. I wore a clown nose all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was volunteering at a hospital. Yeah, so I had a really nice time. I'm not uh, like naturally a performer necessarily. So Is that uh, why you took the 101 class? Yeah, okay. yeah. I just kind of was like more curious. And I think there's a lot of theory to UCB in particular mm-hmm. that I really liked. Like I sometimes over-intellectualize things. So like that felt really good to me in a mm. way that like I think Groundlings is more character-based and like a little more um, uh, actor-oriented, I would say. Mm. So like like game and that theory that idea of like how you heighten and all that stuff really appealed to me it's more like writer-based comedy yeah yeah yeah, for sure exactly yeah yeah my friend dave who listens to this podcast he took like a night um a late night show joke right or monologue writing class i remember seeing that on the like did you know that's a thing (laughs) yeah yeah at ios or Uh, i don't remember where he took it i think so right Yeah, yeah. yeah but it was like i was like oh there's like a way that to construct those jokes and it's Right. Yeah, I'm like Matt. I like love figuring out like the formula for yeah. 
writing so that I don't have to be creative. Um, <laughs> but you haven't you haven't taken any classes there? No, I took some writing classes at Santa Monica College when I moved mm. to L.A. a very long time ago. But no, I've always like wanted to. My yeah. wife my wife went through Groundlings and okay. she has a show at UCB, like a monthly show. So oh, cool. I'm exposed to it a lot. Uh, yeah. And I am like super impressed by like the sketch writing, especially out of UCB. And sure. I directed some like sketches with UCB people. But oh. yeah, I I would like if I had a podcast and people asked me for my advice on like what to do as yeah. a director, I yeah. would tell them they should definitely take writing classes in yeah. those places. But I personally have not really ever done it. <laughs> well, it's yeah. also nice to have a place to hang out. Right. Yeah, totally, totally. So let me ask, actually, because, uh, you know, I have a friend who worked in kids TV for a long time and he'd always tell me like, oh, like I have to schedule like the prom for everybody. Right. And like kind of all of like he had to, he had a lot of things where he was building in social experiences for the young actors because they didn't get to go to high school or whatever. How um, after you kind of emerged from that whole machine, how did you did you find community or like what how did you kind of like. It's almost like you moved to L.A. for the first time. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I definitely had some friends, uh, some crew member friends who kind of stayed my friends. They're, you know, quite a bit of an age gap, but, you know, a friend is a friend type thing. And and I definitely I didn't feel a lot of people I feel like have have, you know, oh, I missed I missed my prom or I missed, you know, having that first high school boyfriend or something. But I didn't I really didn't feel that at all. Um, I felt a little bit of like longing for a childhood once I got to maybe 20 but it was my younger years there was never like a romanticized high school time it was just like oh I grew up really fast oh I was around adults when I was seven that's kind of strange right but yeah that definitely for the teenage years take take or leave those sure fair (laughs) enough um so tell me what you did then after those first classes Uh, like let's go to like what tell us about the first time you got behind a camera and started really like directing something you were excited for yeah so I wrote this thing called uh, the McCurdy's it had started out as a feature and then I stopped the feature midway through and rewrote it as a pilot Um, and it's just sort of a dramedy based on my experiences as a kid actor being raised in a dysfunctional Mormon family with a mom who's dying of cancer very much autobiographical in so many ways and I, I felt like I needed to write something that was that specific and that honest to me and that vulnerable in order to be able to direct it. I felt like that would be the only way that I could connect to directing right off the bat without feeling like I had to fill some new like director role or, you know, in, in some sort of inauthentic way or something. Um, so I wrote this thing and I sent it to my managers at the time. And and these are your acting managers. These are my acting managers. Yeah. And they were very supportive of um, of my writing and everything and, and had really been great about encouraging that and endorsing that. And they they wanted me to go around and pitch it. And I felt like I couldn't. I knew, I felt like I just had to make it on my own. I just, it had to be from me, from my bones. I had to like bleed and sweat for this thing. Um, so I told them like, I'm, I'm just going to make it. I'm going to make it and in four weeks. Uh, and in, so during those four weeks, it was all pre-production and taking meetings with department heads and assembling the crew. And then I shot it four weeks later. And, and had, it's a single camera dramedy. Yeah, single camera dramedy and had an amazing experience shooting it. What like, I mean, untouchable. Just I couldn't believe the way that things came together. And are you hiring like... DPs that have shot like a million TV shows or someone that's just out of film school or like friends of yours or like this is a, a Zane Rubin crew. This was it. Yeah. Zane was super helpful. Um, Zane and I were friends already at the time and she, she was so 
so tremendously helpful through that entire process and in casting sessions with me and helping me make casting choices and it was just amazing but um the dp was somebody who he had done a lot of commercial work and a lot of branded work and some narrative work um but he was super experienced uh, I, I definitely felt like everybody needed to be more experienced than me uh, otherwise it wouldn't i don't know, <laughs> i didn't want to be captaining the thing without you know with the... which is a funny thing to say for a person who's been on a um, hundred plus episodes of television this is, yeah true <laughs> for sure for sure well do you i mean i'm always curious because like my wife she's like in a lot of commercials and i'm like hey what what camera did they shoot on she's like i have no idea i'm like weren't you standing right next to looking at the camera all day she's like yeah i don't know there was like this thing on top and she like, acts yeah oh cool um yeah. so now she knows she's like oh they had like a fly swatter on set like you would like this or she'll just send me like little pictures of e- uh-huh. equipment she's like this they're hanging someone from a harness here because i think now because i ask her i grill her on it she yeah. like really pays she, attention yeah. to how the sausage is made. Did she, but, and she did, so she just didn't have an interest in that prior to meeting you or was it? In like what cameras are yeah, being yeah, used yeah. and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I still think she doesn't care, but hmm. she, just, she just, she knows I'm going to ask she, her. It's just handy to have an answer now. Yeah. 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 And are you, you, I'm assuming you guys are both super tech savvy. You know, all the. Orin is more than me. I would say, but I, I like yeah, cameras. I mean, we're, we're about the same. It's not like I want to. Like, I care about the specs or, like, what resolution sure. or everything. I'm just curious, like, oh, if David Fincher is shooting a car driving down Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. like, at 100 miles per hour, like, what are the things that are required to to get that done? Because mm-hmm. if I want to do that, can I do it for $10,000 or do I need, like, a million dollars? You know, to me, it's like... And even when I, I've shadowed, like, on set before, I'll, I'll talk to, like, the gaffer i'll be like what light is that like how much does that cost like how much electricity does that do i need house power do i need a generator like yeah 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 because i'm always thinking how you know knowing if i'm working on a ten thousand dollar budget or a million dollar budget like what can i get done yeah totally there's like a producer mindset to it a little bit for sure yeah so like like. that that stuff certainly i think we're both kind of yeah even as a boom i used to boom up on like student films i'd just be so fascinated by the the gear you wow. know, and how and not just the gear also what's the director saying to the actors and yeah yeah, yeah it's just yeah. like such a learning experience which yeah. is what we tell all our listeners is like be on set and yeah so yeah. you were on set Living. so much yeah but you were probably it, it was just like kind of on the edges yeah I, I mean when I was young I do remember like I definitely asked a lot of questions I remember the first time I was able to like sit in the in a seat behind a camera I was 11 and, or maybe 12 and I was on it was Law and Order SVU and the DP um I was asking him a lot of questions. So he was like, well, come sit and, you know, let me show you on one. And he took his whole lunch break to sit there and yeah, teach cool. me about it. And like, ah, oh, it warms my heart. So I definitely had, had, you know, great loving crews around me that were, that were very helpful in that way. But I think just because of so many years on a sitcom that kind of faded to the back burner and it's, you know, it's just these big four cameras plopped in front of you. And yeah, it's, you're just you know, kind of like, yeah, other stuff. yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. yeah. So what happened to the McCurdy's? What, what was the next step? I did not release it. I didn't, I, I've, the most that I've done with it is released a one minute clip to my Instagram. I haven't figured out what to do with the project or where it lies. It is, it's so personal, obviously, by the time I went through, like, so the four days of shooting it were, were amazing. And then by the time it goes through editing and you realize that whole process and what it's like to see what you actually have versus what you thought you had and those, all those emotional ups and downs, um, it definitely took a lot out of me. It sure. was, it was, yeah. you know, hugely draining and emotional and um were you like screening it for people and getting notes 
I didn't screen. I sent it to a few people and got some notes from them, but nothing. No, I didn't didn't do it in in any sort of a big way. Um, but uh, then a couple, it took a, a minute to get back on the horse emotionally. And once I did that, then I I started developing the next couple shorts that I made over that summer. Do you think that you'll ultimately release it, or do you think that's just kind of something you want to keep private? I'm not sure because I think there's a lot of great stuff in it and I I would like to do something with it at some point but I don't know what that is yet and and I'm you know at this point I shot it I guess two over two and a half years ago I shot it and I don't you know obviously I'm not rushing it but I don't know I don't want to just put something out to put it out and I don't think I don't know where it lives either I don't think you know it's too long and it's a pilot so it doesn't make sense to do something like try to go a short of the week route or do a festival route um so it's it's kind of it's a confusing project well there are there are nowadays I think a lot of festivals even Sundance and stuff that take pilots um, I've heard I, I've kind of wondered about that that you like could it? be interesting I do. I, I, I should say I like aspects of it. I think there are aspects of it that are great. I think it's really well acted. Um, I think there's one, the, the, the A story I think is really strong. And I think, I think I threw in. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 